on this weekend in our country. We celebrate our freedoms from which were fought for and began to be received following the American Revolution. Over time, more freedoms were gained for more people in more areas. In fact, people are still fighting for freedom today. And while some of these fights have gained great supports, such as racial equality, some other fights really don't make any sense at all today, such as defunding the police. How could the fight for freedom seek solutions that put people in even greater danger today? Well, even though it seems like these are all new problems facing the world and the church, they really are not new at all. In fact, as we will see today, this topic is covered extensively in Scripture. And many of the actions in question today have been prompted by misinterpreting the clear instructions given in the Bible, the Word of God. Not just misinterpreted by the general public, but also by many in the church. Therefore, today's study will focus on understanding freedom. Because if you don't understand it, then what are you celebrating it for? And so we're going to talk about the seriousness of how freedom was achieved at the cross. To understand the history of how people have applied and interpreted law today, I want to take a look at the law instituted by God and how it has been interpreted through time. Why did God give the law? Why did God give the Ten Commandments? You see, God needed to set a moral standard as a guide for a holy living. However, this guide in and of itself did not have the power to change behavior, but rather to shine a light upon it. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The first half of this verse. It says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. You see, the law showed people the right path, but also it clearly highlighted the fact that no one was able to follow it faithfully on their own. Thus, with the emergence of the law came greater awareness of sin and greater awareness that help was needed from God to fulfill the law and to walk worthy of His calling. The law did serve a vital purpose, however, in preparing us for God's answer to our problem of a depraved soul. Romans 20, five, Romans 5.20, second half. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Jesus was and is God's answer given through His grace. Knowing that all of mankind sins and falls short of the glory of God, He sent Jesus to the world to die for us to pay the penalty for our sins. That upon acknowledging our sins, acknowledging what we have done, acknowledging our part, and then turning to God and accepting the sacrifice made on our behalves, we are saved. How are we saved? Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. By grace we are saved when we receive Jesus' atoning work on the cross by faith. Think of it this way. Faith is the highway that connects us to God. 
And grace is the vehicle that brings salvation to us. What is grace? Think of it as unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. It's not something we earn or can earn. We can only receive it. In fact, an acronym for the word grace could define it as God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, God took all the bad that was due to us because of our sins and He put it on Jesus as He died on the cross. But then as the result of this selfless sacrifice, God put all the good that was due to Jesus because of His obedience and He now has it put it upon us. He has imputed it to us. That is amazing grace. Romans 5.21 So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is only by understanding sacrifice and the bankruptcy of our souls that we can fully appreciate the gift of salvation and realize the blessing of grace. There are many people right now fighting for freedom that don't know or understand or even acknowledge sacrifice. But unless you talk about it and understand it and understand the need for sacrifice, you can't fully realize or understand freedom. Amen? Because of God's grace, we are free from the consequence of our sin, which has separated us from God. Because of God's grace, we are free from condemnation when we turn to God and trust Jesus with our lives. There is a divine exchange that takes place at the cross. Whenever a lost soul comes and acknowledges his or her own depravity, realizes that he or she has let God down because of sin, and that he or she now desperately needs Jesus to forgive them of their sins and to restore that relationship with God. It's not something that we can do on our own. We need the grace of Jesus to do that. This divine exchange trading the consequences of our sins with the gift of eternal life can only be received by grace through faith in the sacrifice. But herein lies the problem that has evolved from people not teaching and reading the entirety of the Bible. When the early church started, after the resurrection of Christ, the leading message was one of repentance. In fact, notice how the men of Israel responded to the first message given by Peter on the day of Pentecost. That's when the early church started, the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, verse 36. Peter is preaching directly to the men of Israel. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Christ. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, when sin is discussed without apology and people are allowed to be uncomfortable, then hearts are convicted for change. These men were cut to the heart and greatly desired an answer for the pain of their realization of their sin. Verse 38, Peter gives them the answer. 
Then Peter said to them, Repent and turn away. Let, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the answer was to repent. To turn away from their sins. To identify with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus through baptism. And they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to help them live lives worthy of Jesus' sacrifice. And how many of them responded to this first message to the early church? Look at verse 41. Then those who gladly received His Word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 repented and came to the Lord that day when they responded to the conviction of their hearts. They weren't persuaded or moved in by some flowery talk. They were convicted at their heart level to change and come to Jesus. Led by the gift of the Holy Spirit, the early church was kick-started into high gear to preach repentance and conviction and salvation through Christ alone. They continued daily in this doctrine in breaking bread in each other's homes and in prayers. The early church had a different mission than the mission of much of the church today. While many churches today seek to put people in the pews and fill up the sanctuary, the early church sought to bring people to Christ and then send them out to share the gospel of Jesus around the world. That's why this church is so devoted to missions around the world. That's how the early church started. That's how Jesus' church needs to continue to function. For our brothers and sisters around the world, we love you. We pray for you. We continue to sow the Word and our finances into you. And we are honored to be part of your family. Acts 2, verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. You see, these miracles were done after they taught the Word of God. The gifts of the Holy Spirit through miracles and signs were not given as a show, but rather to confirm the Word and to empower their witness. Fear came upon every soul, and there was a great reverence for God. People were convicted of their fallen state. They were allowed to feel the guilt of their sins so that they would be open to the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of their sins. The reason why so many came to the Lord and joined the early church was because sin was acknowledged. Repentance was preached. And no one tried to prevent them from feeling uncomfortable. But sadly, as time evolved, some churches became less focused on turning people away from the world and sin. The focus became more about creating large followings beautiful buildings, and creating a name for their ministries. And in order to fund these extravagant ventures, many compromised ministers and leaders did not want to offend people by talking about sin and death and making people feel uncomfortable. After all, if they became offended and uncomfortable, they might walk away and not give as much money. So the message 
was tweaked by more and more churches. Focusing less on sin and more on grace. Focusing less on repentance and more on freedom. But without the understanding of sin, its consequences, and sacrifice, and repentance, there is no real exchange that takes place. This is not grace. People can talk of freedom, but there is no real understanding of freedom. So many ministers deliberately avoid offending their hearers with the truth. However, understand this. The flesh has to be offended or else it will not change. Galatians 5, verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. We are commanded to crucify the desires of our flesh. Not just put it back in the, in the corner so you can't hear this loud, but to crucify the desires of our flesh. If we prevent others from becoming, from being uncomfortable in their sin, then we work against the will of God and prevent souls from being saved. In too many pulpits today, the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ no long, is no longer taught scripturally as an absolute necessity for everyone. Instead, there's the idea that we need to accept Jesus as an option. We don't accept Jesus. He accepts us in spite of our sin and because of His amazing grace. Our job is to repent and come to Him by faith. Many times today, political correctness, even in the church, prevents the Holy Spirit from moving and gets in the way of truth, cutting people to the heart and laying the necessary groundwork for conviction of their souls. Today, political correctness in the voice of the world works at all costs to prevent people from feeling uncomfortable. They say it damages your self-esteem. How many know it's not about your self-esteem, it's about your self-worth? That Jesus loved you enough to die for you. It's not about our self-esteem, it's our self-worth. God loved the world. That He sent Jesus to die for us, to give us eternal life. Amen? Amen. While many say it damages your self-esteem, messages now don't go that deep. They don't discuss sin in depth. They focus mostly on the grace of the gift without talking about the sacrifice made and why it needed to be made because there was no other way for anyone to reach heaven because of sin. A sacrifice had to be made. Jesus had to shed His blood, the perfect Passover lamb, so that we could be reunited with God our Father. When the message was tweaked, and when truth is compromised, we lose the power of the Holy Spirit to convict, to lead us to repentance, and to help us complete the divine exchange at the cross. As time has gone on, by ignoring the talk of sin and repentance, the concept of God's grace has been perverted and turned into a concept of entitlement. Does that sound familiar? People began teaching and believing that grace was already given. And we all have it. Whether we acknowledge our sins or not, 
whether we choose to repent or not, and whether we deny ourselves and commit to following Jesus or not. Some ministers teach that in the end, God's love wins. They teach that everyone's sins will be forgiven whether you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or not. In other words, entitlement has replaced a salvation offered by grace through faith. Man's words lead the narrative instead of God's Word. And now we wonder how so much of society could have such a polluted and confused and compromised understanding of freedom. So much of Scripture has been incorrectly taught to line up with this perverted paradigm. For example, how many of you have ever heard the Scripture verse in Nehemiah 8.10? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Have you heard that verse? One of the problems in teaching today is Scripture is not taught in context. We find people find little verses, we cherry pick them, and we we think they sound good, but we didn't understand why it was given in the first place. It sounds like such a pleasant and peaceful verse. It adorns paintings and pictures. It has often been taught as just be happy and joyful in the Lord, and God will strengthen you. But do you know the context of this verse? Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Verse 2, So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Verse 3, listen to this. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. If you have ever thought that church has gone a little too long for your comfort, understand what was expected in Nehemiah's day. The Word of God, known as the book of the law at the time, was read out loud from daybreak till noon in the hot sun and the people stood the entire time. Nehemiah 8, verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Do you know why the people were weeping? It wasn't because they were standing too long. It was because the law gave them a greater awareness of sin. They were each convicted of their own sins individually. And they so much wanted to understand God's Word so they could honor Him with their lives. This is what precedes the verse. The people were crying. The people were weeping. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They so much wanted to reach God. They wanted to understand. There was conviction first. 
Conviction and repentance must precede the joy of knowing that God has your answer and will be your strength. Now, in context, here's Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, godly joy follows the sorrow of soul. When a soul is first convicted of sin and realizes the sheer desperation that God alone can save, then real joy and real freedom is realized when the answer is given. To teach that we should just be happy in the Lord is an abomination of the truth of God. But when we are open to the truth of the Word, convicted of our sins, and turn to Him in repentance, then our joy is made complete by the forgiveness of our sins as we receive the gift of eternal life by His grace. Amen? But sadly today, too many people have an unbiblical and incomplete understanding of freedom and grace. In fact, many began to and still do believe that the more one sins, the more grace is available and applied for all sins committed. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We see this happening in the world today. People are continuing to sin because they believe that salvation comes by entitlement instead of by grace through faith. Without the solid teaching of grace and truth in the church, why are we so surprised that people in the world don't understand true freedom? If the church is not teaching the truth of God, how can we be upset that the rest of the world doesn't get it right? And it only gets worse as more and more Christians are turning to cable news stations and the Internet to interpret the times of today and to discern our next move. God alone is our moral compass. He gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to dwell inside of us, to lead us from within. Jesus is our answer. The Holy Spirit gives us direction through the living Word of God. If we would seek Him first instead of our computers or our phones or the news stations or the internet sites. Why are so many people misguided today? Why are so many church people angry and confused and sad and lost? It's because they are not in the Word enough. They are not depending on it for our direction. Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me Your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to Your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor You. This should be all of our prayers, that God alone would teach us His ways and guide us in truth. Yet too many people still take Advantage of grace. So to answer, Peter, to answer Peter's question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
Romans 6, verse 2. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If our love for God is real, then we will be uncomfortable in our sin. Of course we're going to continue to sin because we have a sinful nature, but we will not be comfortable in it. We must let people, we must let people feel uncomfortable in their sin. It's not our job to rescue them when guilt is beginning to do a work on their heart that would lead them to God for forgiveness and to repentance. We must let them feel uncomfortable in their sin instead of bypassing it or legalizing it and encouraging much of what has happened today. We're going to legalize sin. We're going to encourage sin. We're going to applaud sin so that people don't feel uncomfortable because if they feel uncomfortable, it might hurt their self-esteem. It's not about our self-esteem. It's about our self-worth because our God loved us enough to come down to earth and take care of this problem in person. Amen? Romans 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Verse 4. Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Romans 6, verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Verse 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Listen, we all were slaves. We all were slaves to sin. And the one person, God, God sent Jesus Holy man and fully God, He sent Him to us to break the shackles from us so that we could understand freedom. This is freedom. Because we understand the consequence of sin and the necessity of receiving Christ's gift of salvation by grace. We are no longer slaves of sin. Amen? When you fully understand freedom, this too will be your heart's cry. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love. Amazing grace. I want to share that song with you as we reflect on the sacrifices made for us so that we could understand and receive freedom.